Welcome to the Astral Projection Podcast, brought to you by Ali Wiley. Welcome everyone. This is the second part of my interview with Andrew Hodrian, who is presently conducting research on out-of-body experiences. To take part in the survey, please go to www.obesurvey.webspace.com virginmedia.com forward slash surveypage.html The survey expires on the 9th of November 2014. There's so much research that could be done. For example, yeah. I'd be interested to know how um, scientists would explain, like, occasionally uh, when I leave my body, I, I go, it's almost like you go, you, you, your consciousness expands and you no longer are um, that individual human being that mm. identity and so when you come back to your body I, sometimes I have to lay in my body for a couple of seconds and I think right who am I and um, which which me am I and I think yeah Ali Wiley Italy husband kids dog <laughs> goldfish <laughs> and it's like a download of information right of which identity I am at this present moment you know and to some people that would sound totally wacky and uh, schizophrenia type stuff <laughs> And, um, you know, it's just like your consciousness expands so much that you don't, you lose that identity. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's interesting, you know, it'd be interesting to know, you know, some, you know, if people did research on that, for example, and what conclusions they come to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, as that's something I'm particularly fascinated in, so I hope in the future just to explore that on itself. Um, the sort of changes in state of consciousness that occur as a result of some of these sort of experiences, which sometimes are needed for people to have this altered perception of themselves and maybe even the perception of the nature of reality. Um, you know, there's also people go through sort of sometimes, um, should we say, spiritual transformations as a result of their experience. Uh, and that can occur in, in quite, there's a number of different experiences which I'm interested in, which these transformations seem to occur. So there's something about the state. It's not, and it often seems to be automatic. It's not like the person's rationally thinking about it. It just happens. Yeah. As a result of the experience, it's almost like as if the experience has kind of unlocked the doors of perception in a way. Um, and then they're suddenly having this different perception of the world or themselves. Um, so that, I'm really interested in that. So well, you've, got, in the, you've got a lot of research to do. You've got a whole <laughs> lifetime of research to do. <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, for me... It, you know, it's what fascinates me, uh, it's what I'm passionate about. But I also think it's important. It's sadly, some people don't view it in that way. Um, I, I think the part of the reason of that is simply because actually to do with money. So in, for example, in like academic research, you know, there's only so much funding, which is why I'm lucky to be funded for the research I'm doing right now. Uh, you know, and sometimes what research gets done is simply about what money there is, what, where the money goes. And quite often the money will go for things that can have um, changes in society that uh, you can observe now sort of thing, rather mm. than looking at fundamental things like what is consciousness, <laughs> you know, those sort of things. Um, I think the, the, the parts of consciousness studies which get most attention um, will be neuroscience um, or certain perceptual anomalies or, you know, and it's kind of, funded because it's it's almost looked as if like it's to try and make people better in a way sort of you know if someone's having sort of a um 
a fault in their perception. Um, you know, the research is funded to try and sort of help people who have those uh, experiences or conditions or whatever. So I think that's part of the problem, really, is, is about where the money goes. Um, and, you know, sadly, there is less money for these sort these, these types of research. And then I think there should be, but that's just my own perception. There are so many benefits, really, if uh, in that we could learn from this type of research. Uh, if, yeah, you know, if we became more conscious, I'm sure many of our problems would be eradicated anyway. As a as a human race, if more people you know, really made the effort to live more consciously, more mindfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's been lovely talking to you, Andrew. That's all right. Really fascinating. Yeah. Is there, do you want to talk about anything else? I think we could have another chat another time. Um, I don't know, was there anything you wanted to bring up that you're particularly um, interested in, fascinated with? Because it's all interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, I suppose I could talk a bit about, um, I, I kind of covered it a little bit earlier, but I could talk a little bit about how sort of OBEs are sort of looked at in science. Or yeah, that'd like, be interesting, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and some of the sort of ways you know, they're uh, approached, really, should yeah, we say? Yeah, that would be good, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's the, the important thing is to sort of talk about this, you know, to sort of get it out there so that people realise that it's how some people approach this phenomenon is not necessarily how everyone views it. Um, you know, certain psychologists, for example, will approach certain phenomena in a particular way because they might have an idea that it's this or it's that. Um, and it kind of creates the illusion that, all psychologists approach the phenomena in that way. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of um, I kind of like to talk about that quite a bit. But um, I mean, traditionally, sort of uh, OBEs, they're kind of uh, as I talked about earlier about this sort of Western sort of materialist sort of viewpoint on phenomena. Because they don't fit into that, I think what happens is a lot of people jump to a conclusion to say, well, it has to be a hallucination. How is that hallucination functioning? How does that work? And so then people will then sort of go and collect data or they'll then and then start to develop theories about what's going on in the brain, what's going on uh, in terms of your mind, um, to try and, you know, explain the experience. And that's where I think some of these issues can come up because people are trying to fit something into something that it might not necessarily fit, yeah. um, you know, and then also, also completely miss what is actually going on. Um, whereas if you study the experience at face value and, and take it as, it's an ex- I mean, that's the, the term OBE is, it's an out-of-body experience. It's not saying that someone's literally leaving their body. You might, you can have, you could take that viewpoint that there is something leaving the body, but you don't have to, you know, to say someone's had this experience and take it as a real experience, you just take it at face value. That's what they experience. Um, but sadly, there's a lot of people don't even get beyond that stage. They'll, they'll sort of say, oh, no, you must have just imagined it or, or even just, you know, the classic, that it was just a dream. Yeah. When the person knows that, you know, it doesn't feel like that whatsoever. And pretty much, you know, most people can relate to that who've had these experiences, I'm sure. Um, so I think there is this bias about sort of approaching them as being something else than what they appear to be. Um, and I guess psychology in particular, I guess, simply because it's, you know, studying psychological processes and it's trying to fit the experience with known processes to try and, you know, account for it. But it's really, I guess you could say it's an experience which is relevant for physics, you know, we're talking about, if we talk about time and space, you know, the, the relevance of that phobies. Um, so a, a lot of the approaches that, and I think what, that, what that's 
commonly done in OBE research, at least in psychology, is it's kind of been a focus of who experiences the an OBE rather than what is the experience, what's going on, uh, how do the features behave. Um, so studies, uh, research studies in psychology tend to be looking at what predicts the occurrence of an OBE, you know, what, what, what separates someone who has this experience versus someone who doesn't, almost like profiling people who have OBEs to say, yeah, they have these range of, you know, di individual differences, um, and that predicted them to have the experience, and then people develop theories out of those findings. Um, and that's kind of, which relates to what I talked about earlier with my master's research, you know, that's one such theory which has done that. And it's kind of, you know, it, on the one hand, it's fair because at least the theories come out of real data. So it has come out of empirical data where they have found individual differences. But as I mentioned earlier, these can be interpreted in different ways. What, what's the meaning of that? If, if someone who has an OBE is more like, is um, scores higher, I don't know, on let's say creative thinking, um, what does that mean? What does that mean for what the OBE state is? Um, you know, there are different ways to approach that. Uh, and I think that's where some problems can come up. So that's been, in principle, the research has largely been looking at the person rather than the experience. But thankfully, there is, um, you know, a few of us who, who are sort of focusing on the experience itself. I mean, I really got sort of inspired originally in this um, by uh, another psychologist called Carlos Alvarado in America, who's been sort of a campaigner for studying the features of the experience, what we call like the phenomenology of the experience. Um, you know, to really, you know, that's what's important. That's what we need to be able to explain and, and study the features itself. And that's really where my interest lies in it. Um, and then also, uh, who I work with, my manager on this research, uh, Dr. David Wilde, he has looked at the phenomenology of the experience in terms of sort of the the, the meaning the experience has someone and how do they assimilate it into, you know, into sort of their life and things like that, um, which is really important, you know, to actually look at the state and see what's going on there. Uh, so, he's, you know, he's taken a very different approach to what a number of other psychologists do. Um, so there is some research in what we're doing, but, um, you know, I'm always kind of keeping a lookout for anyone in the world who's studying OBEs in this way, because there's less of us, I would say, than people who just look at the person. Yeah, it's uh, important to look at the experience rather than the person. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think we need both. So I'm not saying that we should just look at the experience and not, you know, uh, it's part and parcel of the same thing. I yeah. think you need to look at both. Uh, and I think, sadly, there's been a bias which has disregarded the actual experience. And I think as a result of that, it's kind of led some research to go into sort of dead ends, you know, it, it, where um, it doesn't really fit. Um, so, uh, well, I'll give you an example. I mean, this is something I was going to mention a bit later, but the perfect example with this is... OBEs only work so far as, a, as technically as a hallucination, insofar that it's imaginary or it's based on memory or something like that, which doesn't fit with what many OBEs seem to be. So where people perceive the environment, which actually matches the real external environment, or they'll observe a specific event or a person doing exactly what is occurring, uh, and often at a, you know, a location away from their physical body, away from where they are, um, you know, so we're not just talking about people who perceive something in their room and it matches how you'd expect it to look, because um, there's actually a, a theory trying to account for that that's based on memory. Uh, there's a thing called cognitive maps, 
where you basically hold a representation of your environment unconsciously um, in your head. I mean, you can try and kind of think about it. So if you think of a route that you take regularly, uh, it could be to work or anywhere, uh, and just sort of imagine in your head about walking or even or floating or anything like that, looking from above, from A to B, uh, it's the idea that you can sort of, you can kind of construct it from memory. And the problem with that is it only works with locations that you're familiar with and also only works if you're having the OBE in that location. But obviously a lot of experiences are not. They go to people, often go to other locations away from the, where they are. So that's just, you know, to me, a big sort of warning sign, really, to say, you know, it's kind of disregarding all of that phenomena that people experience um, simply because of face value. It's, should we say, impossible <laughs> based on the sort of materialist viewpoint of uh, perception or, or memory. Um, you know, how can, how can someone go to a location they've never been and see it exactly as it really is in the obese state? Um, which is, I think, this is the fundamental thing uh, that I think in the future is going to tick things either way with research. Yes, definitely. definitely. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's kind of quite, it's often, the, the I, I guess it's one of the questions I get asked the most about this is what academic research is there to test OBEs uh, in terms of whether they're real or not real? Because often people use those words to describe, you know, to debate about it. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's a lot more complex than that. But, it, you know, people just w want to know, is it real or is it imaginary? Is it someone's, you know, you know, imagination, um, even if it is a powerful altered state that people go into. And I, I think kind of this, the fact that so many people do see things that match the external world, you know, that needs to be explored a lot more in the future. Um, so there has been research on it, but sadly, you know, it's quite limited in terms of actually testing it. And also, I think there's a number of issues which kind of hold it back. So not only just doing the research, when I talked about with the remote viewing earlier, you know, it's, it, it's quite complex setting up big studies like that. Uh, you've also got to get the participants who want, want to take part for, you know, a number of hours uh, and that they, they weren't paid. So <laughs> travel to the university. Um, so, you know, they came to have an experience, actually. So I was lucky that it was such a fascinating experiment for participants. Like, everyone really enjoyed it. So, you know, they had an experience out of it. Uh, obviously, other, some other studies, you know, will pay, you know, participants get paid for taking part. And, um, you know, they'll do anything then. <laughs> um, so, so I think kind of part of the problem of testing OBEs is uh, a few things. Number one is it's is hard to induce them on will. Uh, and I think this is one of the things that uh, if we could change that in the future, that's going to have massive implications for research massive massive implications so i think doing research on actually how to induce obese obviously there's people have written books for you know decades on different techniques um you know there seems to be so many different techniques for trying to induce them so i think kind of doing some actual academic research in that area itself is going to be positive and to try and induce them because the more we can sort of be able to induce them on will, the more uh, doors that are going to open in terms of how to actually study them. That's right, the yeah. Yeah, because at, at, the, at the moment, it's sadly retrospective. It's always sort of retrospective studies, uh, sorry, experiences. So, you know, um, I mean, for example, uh, the cases that we've studied 
um, in the current research sort of go, uh, well, an earlier part of the research I'm doing, not the survey we're doing now, but um, they go back from the 1850s all the way up to present day. Wow. So, so we had cases, you know, such a, you know, so I think kind of trying to be able to induce them, that's going to be one of the key things to try and open up more, more ways of uh, exploring them. And obviously when you can induce them, then you can test them uh, in a scientific context in terms of can you perceive the environment as it really has? Um, and there, there has been studies that have done this. It's just, uh, so there's a famous one by Charles Tart in America, uh, and there was a person who did perceive a five-digit number on a shelf um, where they couldn't perceive from where their physical body was. It's quite a famous study, so I'm sure there's some... Yes, I've read about that one, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think that sort of, you know, so long ago, that research, and since then, there's only been, you know, at most a few studies that have actually really tried to test that. You know, there's only been so many um, to actually even look at that. Um, and I think part of the other problem is, I've kind of read this from actually people who induce experiences, have, have mentioned this in some of their books, that sometimes there's almost like almost like a sort of psychological block to testing the experience. So I've heard quite a few accounts where someone's trying to test it. Uh, so I'll give you an example, testing it with a pack of playing cards, yeah. putting a, a specific playing card face up and then going into the OBE and going to observe it and seeing, do I see that card as it really is? And obviously they don't know what the card is. They've got somebody else to put it there or something. Uh, and I've read a number of accounts where when they've got near it, something stopped them. There'll be something appear that stops them actually getting to perceive oh, really? the car. Wow. Yeah, it's you really know, I've never heard of that one before. Yeah, so it's, it's so there might be something interesting going on. Like you know, that would be interesting psychologically. What's what's is, is there is there almost like a battle with yourself to be able to, you know, these are just speculations, but you know, is there a battle going on to be able to perceive certain things? And I've heard some people where they try and perceive something and try and influence how well they can perceive it and that they have had some success there. So if they can't see something clearly, they've consciously thought about making it clearer and it's become clearer. Um, so, the, you know, that's a lot of exciting studies that have yet to be done, you know, to even explore what's going on there. Um, but as I say, we're not savvy there yet. And I think because of these problems of inducing the experience, um, so a lot of the research before, some of the bigger studies, you know, they had people in a, a sleep lab and they'd stay there a number of nights. You know, they get people who were practitioners, you know, people like, you know, Robert Monroe and people who can achieve the state more successfully than others. And they'll, you know, but even them, they'll bring them in and it's not like you can necessarily induce the experience on demand. Yeah, you feel under pressure if you have yeah, to perform. Course, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So, uh, which is actually an issue I faced in what I did with the remote viewing research, because effectively we're, we're bringing in members of the public who don't know anything, well, most of them didn't know anything about this. Some of them were quite sceptical, uh, and, and we had to sort of get them into almost like a childlike state of mind, yeah. where they just accept it at face value and just go with it, because you need to go with that, because I think um, if you're overly sceptical to do with, you know, trying to achieve something, you're much less likely to actually have any success. And there's a number of actually empirical studies which have shown that, which have at least highlighted that that might be going on. The more sceptical you are, the less likely you're going to actually perform on some of these experimental tasks. 
So yeah. that t- also relates to what I was saying about a psychological battle. You know, that might be all part of the same thing. It might be that your mind is just like in disbelief and it kind of blocks you being able to perceive something, which is fascinating. Yes, it is fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? We have this personal battle going on within us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think... Um, I, I, I guess... I guess sort of mainstream psychological uh, approaches to OBEs, obviously they don't cons- they don't really consider the sort of should we say para- paranormal aspects of it, uh, being able to perceive things that you shouldn't be able to perceive, or being able to have information from other people that you're seeing in the environment, so sort of telepathic information. Um, there's also precognitive information some people have within OBEs, so they'll they'll see something that hasn't happened yet. And then later it comes true. Yeah. Uh, or even the past. Uh, that's I found that to be more rare, but I have actually had accounts where people have gone and perceived something in the past, what we call retrocognition. And they'll see something in the past which they didn't know, and then they'll go and then corroborate and find that that, that was true. And it was information they didn't know. Um, so kind of like the opposite of precognition, really, in a, in a way. Um and I think kind of obviously mainstream approaches, they, they won't really consider those. So they're, they're then left to either interpret it in something, you know, some sort of process we know to do perception or to do with hallucinations. Or if you're in clinical psychology, you might be biased to sort of interpret it as being, you know, related to some sort of condition, which I think is quite dangerous, um, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of your listeners are going to, you know, relate to that, is that, you know, if someone if someone doesn't understand about this phenomena uh, and they try and sort of interpret it as a, a condition, there's then the real very real danger that someone could get diagnosed. You know, even yes. like schizophrenic or um, you know a dissociative disorder, um, you know, or epilepsy, or any, you know, any, even though it's nothing to do with the person. You know, it's just that that, that the, the professional has no nowhere else to go. They kind of feel like I'm pushed into a corner. And they have to kind of go with what they know. Uh, and, you know, something that I'm very critical of is that. Uh, and I think that's something that we need to change, uh, which is actually the research I'm doing now, the survey, is actually to try and help that process. It's actually to try and the end result of it is to have this um, scale of items which basically somebody else can use. So, for example, a, a professional who doesn't know about OBEs can use it to actually say, see if someone's had one of these experiences rather than jumping to a, a sort of false diagnosis, should we say, yeah. uh, and just sending the person away with incorrect, you know, false information. And, you know, which, you know, obviously kind of psychologically for that person, you know, that could be, you know, risky to be quite, you know, almost traumatic in a way. If someone gets sent home saying, you know, you potentially got schizophrenia or something <laughs> like that. I know. So it's a very serious, I think it's a very serious thing, you know, that, well, that's what happened to Robert Munro when he when it was happening to him, wasn't it? He um, he went to the doctor, and obviously the doctor didn't know what what was the matter yeah. with him. He seriously thought he was dying. Yeah. So you know, it's um, it's a very real thing. You, you know, doctors should be should be aware of this of out-of-body experiences that it might not necessarily be a condition that has to be treated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I personally, you know. From everyone that I've spoke to and everything that I've read about this, it's it seems to be the opposite. It's you know a gift for people to exactly. experience. Yeah. It's quite rarely a, a you know it can happen, but it's quite seems to be quite rarely a, a, 
traumatic experience, you know, uh, or a negative experience. Um, obviously, that can happen, but you know, it's much more common for it to be a positive, you know, you know, sometimes life-changing experience for a lot of people. Oh, definitely. Um, I think even if it could be a negative experience, a negative experience is often uh, related to fear of the unknown. So. Absolutely, you know, yeah, that's it. We yeah. don't understand what's happening, so you can be afraid. Oh my God, where am I? What's that? Oh my God, there's a shadow, and you know, a shadow becomes a monster in your head, and you and you end up going back to your body with a bad experience just because you didn't understand what was going on, and it was all confusing. But I think that is one of the, a big problem with um, people that have negative experiences. Is basically that it's an unknown. And what are we afraid of the unknown, aren't we, generally, as human beings? Yeah, it's absolutely. A... Yeah, that seems to be a natural tendency we have. So yeah. I think, in a way, there probably is um, sort of reasoning biases that do that can occur with some people where they, they can't deal and face the phenomena, so they have to sort of explain it away as something um, unfairly, you know, rather than really, t you know, exploring it fairly and assessing it. They'll just brush it off. It has to be a hallucination. It has to be this or that, um, you know, which is really quite a shame. But I think that that does probably occur um, for a lot of people um, where they don't really sort of they don't want to face up to the implications of the experience. Yes, because it does have a great deal of implications, doesn't it? Yes, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, which is why I think it's so important to study sort of academically, uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that this is going to have implications for understanding consciousness. Um, so, in some kind of way, I'm not sure yet what that is, but in some kind of way, but you know, at the extreme end of the scale, if people are having experiences somewhere else um, where their physical body is and that matches, there's something really fascinating and important to sort of uncover there. Definitely. Uh, how that's occurring, what what's what's happening, um, you know, especially with sort of um, current you know research uh, in physics, in particularly quantum physics. You know, we're kind of at a stage where we're starting to reassess the nature of reality in some kind of way. So we might be at a crossroads soon, you know, where we 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 start to sort of you know take a, a slightly different approach to um, to the world uh, and our place in it. Oh, let's um, hope so. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, I kind of just aspire to be as open-minded as much as I can with it. Obviously, I'm sort of doing research within psychology. Um, you know, I'm doing sort of, which is, a, you know, it's a type of science. It's social science, but it's a type of science. Um, so there's a certain process, you know, procedure to doing research. Uh, obviously, you know, um, you know, you're meant to sort of remain as neutral as possible. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're human beings now. <laughs> we're... <laughs> We, we all like to sort of impose our viewpoints on things. So, and I think the trick with research, you know, is to try and minimise that, uh, and then to go with to be as fair as possible to the data, to to uh, the experiences. Obviously, if you're testing a theory, you're doing a specific thing. But with the research I'm doing now for this, um, you know, we're not testing any particular theory or anything like that. So, anyone who participates in this, we're not um, we're not going to be saying anything out of that about you as a person um or, or even what the OBE is we're 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 actually sort of studying it at face value in terms of how it's experienced and then how do we how do we even define what an OBE is and how do we differentiate it from other phenomena like i mentioned some of these hallucinations uh, or 
sort of clinical sort of disorders or um you know there's a whole range of things it gets it can get mixed up with very very important research i think i I mean even more complex than that is the next stage after that i think is to to be able to understand how it relates to things like lucid dreams so because quite commonly people say that it's similar but it's different to a lucid dream Um, yeah a lucid dream is more internal you feel you're in in inside yourself that has a feeling of being internal whereas an outboard experience you definitely have that feeling of being external even though it could be like it it's like a contradiction an inner journey yeah um it's very contradictory because of the word outer body experience and of the course, feeling yeah, of it being has... external it's um difficult to explain <laughs> yeah no absolutely yeah i mean that's that's what's so fascinating about it you know, what what is what is actually going on that's why kind of, you know, i'm I'm, you know, I'm fascinated in, in doing research on the, the features and things like that, but I'm always at the back of my mind, you know, I'm always sort of fascinated in what is actually going on, yeah. what's going on physically and uh, mentally and, you know, um, that, that's why I think it's going to have implications for sort of the mind also, you know, your physical body, which is a huge deal with OBEs. Definitely, Quite, yeah. Yeah, people have sort of embodied experiences and... Um, yeah, I've even heard people describe uh, that they had a, a, a body in the OBE state and then it's almost like they felt that it was like a fail-safe mechanism because they, they, they're used to experiencing their body and then after a while, the body dissolved and they stopped having yeah, that in they spirit. didn't need it anymore because they felt comfortable in the other state or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, And that kind of generally sort of will have implications for the variability in the experience, which is my main interest, as I mentioned. Um, you know, why does some people, why does some people experience a completely normal environment, which looks just like your location where you are, and then somebody else can go to a completely different, sort of almost like a different dimension or you know an afterlife environment. You know, that's just words that are used for some people to describe it. Um, you know, or, or or see you know other people that shouldn't be there. You know, people have died and things like that. Um, you know, there's this, you know, that's just one example. But there's a great variability in what is actually experienced, even though there's this sort of um, common thread between the experience. I think, which is kind of what we're trying to tap at really with this survey, we're trying to get at the, what's the essence of an OBE, so we can then say more reliably who has had one versus who has not, because obviously we understand that there is this big variability uh, so obviously you can't give someone a whole bunch of questions that's going to match everyone's experience the same way so you have to sort of get to the essence of what the, what's going on in the OBE state um, but I think in the future that's sort of the research I want to go more into in the future is exploring the variability of the experience um, and you know what why is it that some people have these different and sometimes between, you know one person will have to multiple experiences which are quite different um, or it could be differences between one person and another person so there's something really interesting going on there um, that I think there can be a great deal of research to be done on that um, so much research you have to do you're, very, you're, you're a very busy man <laughs> well yeah I, I, I mean, I, I mean, talk, I, talking about being busy I think I have to go and cook dinner now oh, that's okay. unfortunately no problem, yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> um we really will have to have a chat because you've obviously got lots, lots more to say and it's really interesting listening to you. Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks so much. No, it's been really, it's been really inter- interesting, um, interesting hearing your questions as well. 
Well, we'll sure we'll have lots more once the listeners get hold of this. So we'd yeah. have to have another chat and get people to fill in the survey. So you have lots of people, lots of experiences to study. That would be great, yeah. yeah. We've only got three weeks, so um, so hopefully there'll be some people have a look at that uh, and hope people find it interesting. I'm sure um, they will. The questions we've got, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks again then, Andrew. That's all right. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay. Cheerio Thank then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to do the survey. If you missed the web address, you'll be able to access it from my website, www.astralwings.com. Happy travels.